This is Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Lena. And I'm Matt Henry. I'm Matt Miller. And I'm Mark. All right, so Matt and I were talking the other day, and uh, in the course of that discussion, we transitioned into this whole idea about the nature of communion with God versus knowing God, and is there a difference, and also the tendency within uh the church today uh, in the evangelical world to try to make a big difference about it, that there's a higher level of communion that you can you know, seek after, and it's not just simply a knowledge of God. And so we started talking about, and that's really where we ended up deciding, let's do this as a podcast. So why don't you, why don't you give some thoughts on where all this flowed from Yeah, your own well, mind. just like you said, there's a, a, a distinction that's often made between the idea of knowledge, which is you know, doctrine or the way they'll phrase it is doctrine and theology versus communion or fellowship or, you know, some kind of what I can imagine is some kind of personal intimacy with God. And so the question is, what's more important? Um, you know, we need to, and I don't know where it's coming from, but it seems to be coming from a, just a rejection or an intellectualism or something of, of doctrine, theology. It seems stuffy, dead, a bunch of people just sitting around reading their books um, so you're, you'll hear things like, uh, we don't need to know more about God. We just need to know God. Like that means something, right? which annoys me because it's really trying to create up a, a false dichotomy that doesn't actually exist. They're trying to say, do you want to do this or this? And the reality is they're one and the same in, in essence if you actually understand what the Bible is saying about it. Yeah. That, that you can't separate them. No. One serves the other, which we'll no. talk about. Yeah. So what are some, uh, what are some thoughts? Well, as I already said, it, it doesn't make sense. And, and the reason it doesn't make sense is you cannot commune or meditate, if you want, on something that you don't know. So you have to know so you can contemplate it. And it's really that simple. And yet, somehow, we can't seem to grasp that. Yeah. And there's also this sense of that, it's like this this tacit assumption, I think, that um, God reveals himself through a personal experience with you versus an objective revelation that he's given. Okay. So, in all reality, and I'm, I'm asking to be honest here, I've been doing a lot longer, the pastoral ministry, than you, but just in your time... Whenever you hear somebody tell you that they feel God is showing them X or they've been thinking about things and they really feel that God showed them or revealed to them something, has it ever been good? I mean, really good where you're excited about what they said? No. No. I'm... I'm <laughs> And, and and then you have that really unpleasant experience of then looking at them and trying to be honest, a faithful pastor, and you know somehow explain yeah. to them, you know, I'm really glad that you, you think that, but it's wrong. Yeah. Um, it's it's inadequate, and you know it 
it's not a fun job to have to do because somehow you're attacking something that they really were clinging to or they, they thought was precious, but it wasn't because it's wrong. It's not based on proper knowledge of, of what God has revealed about himself. Yeah. So, yeah, it drives me crazy. And no, no paradigm for, for biblical decision-making. No, and so I'm reading this book right now that's a pain to read, but it's on a devotion to Mary. And it's this massive book all about these various church fathers and their their love for Mary and they're elevating her to, even though they try to say they're not, to the level of Christ. But in all of that, it comes out of a Catholic mysticism. Yeah. And, and I really think that's where a lot of that's flowing from. Yeah, yeah, it is. And so there's a whole, what's called, there's a whole contemplative movement out there. Um, and it's really developed from the, these Catholic mystics. And so some common ones, you know, Thomas Merton, Henry Nouwen, um, that are, they're really popular in, in evangelical circles now. And, you know, linked with that is the devotional movement, the, these sort of quiet times with Jesus that um, are really popular. And um, Well, the, even our own convention had a retreat here a couple of years ago. And one of the things that they were really excited about was that they were going to have a prayer maze. Do you know what that is? Deep. Yeah, that's what I thought. And there was like, and I'm like, no. Is that just what? as hokey as it sounds? Yeah, it, it's actually a Catholic mystic kind of creation where you go through this maze, and as you go, you're supposed to be contemplating God and communing with God and and having this just supernatural experience with God and the whole the I, I just avoided the whole retreat because it's like it's intrinsically wrong and and so you've got people who are in need of true spiritual refreshment they were right about that these people that were going to go were in need of a refreshment but they were going to get it the wrong way and so they weren't going to truly yeah. be refreshed the, the problem with the contemplative movement is um, it, it truly flies in the face of just what's straight biblical in that the contemplative movement wants you to empty your mind of all thoughts and look within so you can have some kind of intimate moment with, with God, you know, listen for his voice, listen for his leading, his prompting, his subtle nudging and that kind kind of disastrous of theology. I don't even know where that comes from, but on the other, but the biblical model is truth is outside of you. It, it's, come to us in the form of written scripture. And so if you want to know God, or I guess we'll use the term commune with him or, or pray to him, that needs to be informed by something outside of you, not something inside of you. The modern church today would rebel against God's revealed and commanded way of worshiping him and approaching him in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. because they would not have the freedom to just write their own songs. They would right. have a very clear right. songbook called the Psalms, yeah. and that's they have to sing those. Um, one of the things that always blows me away is how we, we think our worship and we just really are sensing that we're closer to God, right? Um, and I always think of Nadab and Abihu, and mm -hmm. they offered up a strange fire, meaning they didn't follow his command. Next thing you know, they're dead. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, how'd that work for you? And yet we're throwing up everything and anything because we sense God's leading us that we really need to do this, we need to do that. How many times a pastor will stop a congregation in the middle of something and just like, you know, I just really sense that God is leading me to 
Yeah. And then again, fill in the blank and people are, ooh, wow, this is deep. And it's like, it's not deep. It's generally dumb. Yeah. Kind of back what you're saying about like the emptying your mind and everything. It honestly sounds like Buddhism. It sounds like it a yoga instructor it's, it's Eastern is mysticism. telling yeah. you to, because I don't know much about Catholic mysticism, but I know about the Catholic church and how they adopted a lot of the pagan rituals and when they would invade a nation and well the catholic faith is um syncretism yeah it's very philosophical um it involves more than just kind of in our circle propositional truth um and so there's this whole mystical um you know combining of the essence of something with the spirit of something and it's just bizarre and weird and that's the overflow that has, you know, come into the evangelical world and it's leaked out in subtle ways, but ways like devotions and quiet times. And, you know, a lot of this too is catalyzed by modern forms of so-called worship music, you know, Bethel, Jesus culture, Hillsong, stuff like that, where it's almost this romantic, sappy, intimate feeling close to God when no one walks out truly changed their mind hasn't been changed or no more conformed into the image of Christ than they were than when they walked in, but they had a moment. And so they feel like they're close with God. They've tapped into deity. They, yeah. something. Well, and it's, it's, it's a hard balance though, true, because also as, as someone, if you're just strictly reading God's word and you're meditating on it in, in prayer, you are going to have a level of feeling at times where you feel close to God. I mean, you're not, I mean, you're not chasing that constantly, but you know what I mean. So it could be constant. There's this, there's this weird balance of um, yeah. You still get that if you, you're. You can have an emotional response, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But I'm going to correct you on that. Is you may feel close to God, but theologically, you're not an ounce or right. an inch closer. You, you it, it's like right. People you're, say I know, yeah, exactly. right? Why, yeah. Exactly. I really feel the love of God, and it's like. That love has always been there. Whether you feel like you sense it or not doesn't change that reality any more than I feel more forgiven or I I feel closer or anything else. So you can have those emotions, and I know that's not what you meant, but no, but, yeah. I, but I also know how people will hear things. So right, right, right. It, it's that idea of I'm I'm meditating on His Word. I'm thinking on God. Um, at times, all of that kind of comes together in an emotional moment, and those are great. I mean, those those yeah. are fun, yeah. but but then what happens is you start to think that was better than when you were just thinking truth truthfully about God. If that's and that's so what right. I, is that the that's right word? Trying to truthfully say, yeah. or truly or. I don't know. Right. You're just chasing right. an emotional right. high. <laughs> right. That's that's the key word too, is you said chasing. And I think that's a really important distinction because sure. that is what happens. Right. Is they are chasing for the experience, the moment, the right. the feeling. And they might have had past experience that were true. I mean, these right. are right, proper emotions because they've resulted from a right understanding of right truth. Right. Um, you know, and a lot of this comes with, you know, it, it's in the writings of the Puritans. Um, this sort of intimate, mm -hmm. romantic notion where I need to get closer to Christ, more of Christ. Do you uh, think that was a Puritans? It was I definitely part of the Keswick movement. Uh, well, I certainly read it in the Puritans. Really? Yeah. Do you think they meant it in that sense, though? I don't know. Probably depends which Puritan you're talking to. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, if you read Value of Vision, it is very emotional, but they're talking about every aspect of God, not just, oh, you've forgiven me, and I love you now, and it's just like, 
stuck right there at like it's it's constant every service is like a conversion service like everybody's getting converted and we're just okay i see what you mean stuck in this little baby you know drinking the milk but there's never going to be any more meat it's just all about forgiveness love chains are broken you know and you see that in especially in the songs and like there's one song that's literally we love you that'll never change or like offering this to you, we, 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 I, 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 stuff like that. And it's just all centered around the man's love for God, which is so false. Well, that's actually what's wrong with a lot of the supposed worship music today is it's actually I focused Mm -hmm. rather than God. And the wonderful thing about the old hymns were it's all about him. Exactly. Um, He's the subject. It doesn't really matter what, our feelings are about right. that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in Colossians, you have the horizontal and vertical aspects of of singing, where you're singing to one another songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, where you remind one another of truth and with melody in your heart to God. So there's that vertical aspect. But in the context, I mean, Colossians, that, that whole passage is in the context of the corporate body. And so it's with one voice lifting up this, this praise to God and then also singing to one another. But this sort of thing where you throw in the headphones or drive down the road in your car and um, it just becomes about you and you know you kind of just start playing the track to your own personal life and intimate romantic relationship with God is is bizarre and... Is, is the Colossians passage the one that actually says teaching? Yeah, Colossians singing? 3. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was the Ephesians, but it's actually Colossians 3. Yeah, so you're actually on that horizontal level. You're not just singing together, but you're actually instructing one another right. in propositional truth yes. in the song as you make melody to God. Um, and and to kind of pick that up and take it back into the Old Testament again, that's where that you'll, you'll read all the time about doing... A, B, and C done rightly. It's a sweet aroma to the Lord. It's a, it's a very similar thing. You're now singing truth about God and what God has done and who God is. And in doing that, you're instructing one another and you're making melody in your heart toward God. You know, it's that soothing yeah. aroma. Now, yeah. now we're now we're rightly thinking. Now, as a, in a corporate sense, we yeah. are coming together and we're affirming yeah. truth about God. Though. I have to caveat this because I know people will wonder. That's not to say it's evil to sit in your car and put on. <laughs> I wanted to. I, thanks for saying that. Worship I was music. Bring that back I just around. did today as I, right, I finished exactly. up my sermon and I, I was doing the, the prayers of the saints, right. um, which right. is a great song by Sovereign Grace. Or which a whole spans set by Sovereign all Grace. Of yeah. the things that you sing as a saint, not just Jesus forgave me, but like. We need to forgive each other, and yeah. But the the interesting thing about it is that, that as I was listening to it, it was getting me excited for Sunday, for when I'm going to be with the with people the saints, yeah. in singing. Well, the song we're singing on Sunday, I think, is is that from Sovereign Grace? Are we're we... singing "Oh Lord, My Rock." And yeah, my Redeemer, yeah, yeah. So it even that was pointing me toward okay. I want right. to do this with the body. Yeah. Um. And, but. All that to say is like, so the, the, the whole devotional movement, the, the songs that are coming out these days, the private quiet times with Jesus, um, I think actually burdens people and creates a lot of unnecessary guilt um, because it, it measures a person's maturity by their subjective sense of closeness with, with God. 
or something like that. And so if you're not prayed or if you're not done your devotionals for the morning, um, you now feel like you're on the outs with God. And so you now need to do those to, you know, your, your day's not right until you have those or, or something um, versus just a, a solid conviction of, of what is truth that objectively I'm in Christ and this is my reality. Um, and so, instead, and so reminding yourself of those things all day long versus, oh, I didn't check my box, I didn't do my devotionals, I didn't do my half hour of prayer time. You know, it's so funny. I, I, I was, man, I don't know, ten years ago, I was so into that way of thinking, and I always, I would explain my life is literally a roller coaster. And I know a lot of our lives are roller coasters. That's just the nature of life. But it's less so when you're founding it on truth. And it's, it's not, you're not going to have the ups and downs. And you're just chasing this thing constantly. And it's, it's amazing. I, I reflect on it. You just said that. Um, it's interesting. Just as you guys are talking, I'm thinking that if you replace those words with running, uh, weightlifting, uh, yoga, you could, you could say the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, out there in, in the world, you have people who... If they haven't checked off the box, they haven't done their running, or they haven't done their weightlifting, or whatever it is, somehow they feel guilty. They have, they don't feel complete. They don't this and that, and we've just spiritualized that in our in our life to well, we haven't done our prayer or we haven't done our devotions, and it's really just the same thing. It's still missing the point. It's it's not that you shouldn't do your devotions, um, you that you shouldn't. Hey, I mean, obviously you should, but the purpose of those is not so that you achieve something or that you are in a right relationship with God in some unique way or that you experience something. That's If that's what you're doing, you've now turned what should be worship into self-worship and yeah. you've completely lost the point anyhow. And so then you end up with the highs and lows or, you're, or you call it the roller coaster because if it's a good time, great, but... Nobody will survive numbers. <laughs> I know. I was just about yeah. to say. Nobody can survive numbers no. if it's about how you're going to feel because you just can only read so many begats. And, and so then you don't you, read it. You say, it, this is, it's just not doing something for me. Yeah. And, and it's really because you're incredibly still self-centered. And the whole point of knowing God is so that you know God. Um, and, and, and it's a much better way. Uh, when you get there, because your your communion, if you want to call it that, becomes something that happens throughout the day rather than in that moment. Yeah. Does that make yeah, sense? Definitely. Yeah, d- just with this idea of of a separation. I mean, I've heard people say it. Um, you don't need to to learn more about God. You don't need to learn more doctrine theology. You just need to have fellowship with him or communion with him or walk closely with him or something. And when I hear that, I, I can tell you without a doubt that person doesn't know their doctrine of God. They don't know their word like they ought to because if they did, they wouldn't be saying that. Yeah. But, and it, but it sounds like such a spiritual... Yeah. Well, and it also gives an awesome excuse to the person who's lazy, True. right? Well, you know, I don't like reading... You know, somebody said they 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 read the book uh, "The Knowledge of the Holy" by Tozer, which is a great little book. It's pr- less than a hundred pages, and it's very easily read, and it's a good book. But they think that they have now gone into the deep end of theology. You're like, oh goodness, you yeah. have barely even scratched the surface. It's it's a devotional book. 
Um, you know, a person who wants to be lazy with their faith will love a statement like that because yeah. it, it excuses them from pressing on and thinking deeply. Mm-hmm. And it's been my experience that when I have talked with the person who said that to me one-on-one, it, it really just takes a simple question of what do you mean by that? That all of a sudden they, they, they literally can't answer or they're groping at best or have justified something weird in their minds. And I'm like, I don't, I don't even know how to answer you because we're not even talking Bible anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yep. We're it, talking religion or some weird experience or... Well, those turns is, well, you know, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's you just, just talk about something different. Yeah. In fact, well, that's you know. actually what they you say know. is, you know, yeah. I don't you, know. I, Tell I, me. My famous story of listening to some guys now at Common Grounds and they came over and they're like, you know, what do you think about this passage? It was the uh, passage, 1 Corinthians 11 on women and head covering. And all these young 20-somethings are talking about it. And were they I'm in their 20s? They were. Yeah. Every one were they, of them. Were they, except for one were they counseling guy. each other on life? Oh, they they were sort of. I don't know what you're talking they, about. They, they literally were. It was just a pooling of ignorance, and it was frustrating. And I'm sitting there with all these commentaries working, and I'm trying to ignore them. And then they come over and introduce themselves. They're like, "Hey, I see your books. Uh, like, are you like a pastor?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I am a pastor." Aww. And they're like, "Oh man, that's really cool. Praise God!" And then they were genuine. I mean, it was nice guys. Yeah. And I'm looking at them, oh, sure. and then they're like, "Hey, so we were wondering, you know, maybe you got some things you can share us about this First Corinthians 11 passage." And I'm like, "That's funny. I just preached on it just a couple weeks ago." And they're like. Oh wow, that's a that's a God thing. Oh no! I'm like sure, okay, I'll work with that one. And then they're, they're like, "So what do you think it means?" And then I told them what it meant. And they're like, "Wow, well, I don't know if I agree with that." And I'm like, "So here we go." But it was a God thing. It well, and then they now all they 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 all start talking about what they felt God was showing them about what it meant. And so I I then asked them, "How do you know that's God?" And they're like, "Well, you know." And I'm like, no, I don't. That's why I'm asking. How do you know that yours is of God? They're like, well, I just, you know, I mean, you know it. And I, I said, yeah, but I know that what I just told you is of God. So how can I be? Now you're going to have to show me how I'm wrong. And it literally became back and forth. Well, you know, you just know. And I'm like, no, you don't just know. At some point, it has to be something outside you and your knowing. And they walked away very frustrated with me. And I walked away. Well, yeah, I just sat there, but I was very frustrated with them. It's like you, you all wanted to know, but then when you were taught, you didn't want to know anymore because it didn't comport with what you had already con- perceived in your own mind. It meant, yeah, and it's like, and and now you're you're going to end up being in the same place ten years from now because you don't know and you have no ability to know how to know because you've rejected the authority of the Word of God and you don't even know you've done that. Yeah. But they went to a church that that was exalted. Sure. Which is very common, which is why we're yeah doing this. <laughs> one of my, well, regarding this, one of my favorite passages on this, because it just, it, it speaks well into this sort of false dichotomy that's created between knowledge or doctrine and theology and, and a closeness or intimacy or communion with God is right from Colossians 1 verses 9 through 14, which is Paul's prayer um, for the Colossians, Colossian believers. And he says, um, in verse nine, he says, for the day we have heard of it, talking about the Colossians faith, we've not ceased to pray for you and ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? For what purpose? So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, which 
is just a wonderful phrase about sanctification, about uh, what holiness looks like as a person grows, walking in a manner worthy of, of the Lord or of, of your calling. So how did you get there? Or, through this knowledge. You're filled with the knowledge for what purpose? So that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, which results in what? To please Him in all respects. And then He gives four fancy word participles that describe what a worthy walk looks like. And so the first one is bearing fruit in every good work. The second one is increasing in the knowledge of God. That's an interesting one. So, so be filled with the knowledge of God to walk in a manner worthy of your calling leads then to more knowledge, to an increasing in knowledge. Um, strengthen with all power um, is the fourth one. And then in verse 12, joyously giving thanks to the father who's qualified us in the inheritance of the saints in light. And so it's just really interesting to me that the one prayer that Paul has is great burden is that they be filled with the knowledge of God's will, because that's how they're going to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. And so while we talk about this distinction between knowledge on the one hand and then communion with God on the other, Paul uses no language here of relationship or communion or fellowship or anything like that. Your relationship to God here in Paul's conception is, is our moral categories um, that you're walking in a manner worthy. That looks like what? That you're bearing fruit. Um, that you're being strengthened with power, that you're increasing in knowledge, that you're a person who is joyously giving thanks to the Father. That's just your natural disposition. Um, and so here, the, the term he uses, that, um, that you're being filled, is, is a term that speaks of um, like when wind fills out the sails of a ship. It, it, it literally carries you along. It's what motivates you, moves you, it energizes you. And so here, the the, the thing that's doing that, of course, is the knowledge. The yeah, it's knowledge. not some supernatural weird thing where all of a sudden you're elevated to this higher plane of knowledge. Yeah. It's not right. Gnosticism. Right. No. It's it, an objective knowledge that sits outside of you. It, yes, <laughs> gathering that knowledge and, and being filled, filling your mind with that. Yeah, and he's about to give a whole bunch of it through the rest of the I was, epistle. I was going to just say, is, and then yeah. he immediately starts going indicatives and statements of, of theology about yeah. what God has yeah. done and who Christ is. It's, so now he's saying, okay, I want you to be filled, and then he just spends the next four chapters yeah. filling you. And you it, but th what's great about this passage is, is it's the full orb of the Christian life. Um, that you're walking in a manner to please him. So what are you doing? You're, you're bearing fruit. Well, that's something every Christian should be doing. You should, you know, he's prepared works beforehand that you might walk in them. Um, you're increasing in a knowledge of God. You can't ever stop. Um, you're being strengthened with all power. So you're resting on his might, not your own. And you're a person who gives thanks to the father who's qualified you in the gospel. This is the fullness of the Christian life right here. And you will get not one word of fellowship, communion, personal intimacy, rather they're moral categories. And so it's a wonderful passage that just shows how th there's no concept in Paul's mind of, of our sort of Western idea of subjective communion. So when we were talking about this early uh, the other day and you, you said, well, my favorite passage, and, and you start talking about without giving the reference, I actually thought you were talking about Philippians, which is actually a parallel to what you just said, because in Philippians 1.9, uh, Paul writes to the Philippian church, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more, but then in a certain realm, 
in the realm of real knowledge and all discernment. And so this your love is not to function on its own in some vague way of how you feel loving should be, but it should be done within the, the it, it's constrained. It's constrained in this realm of knowledge and discernment. And another way you can just say that is knowledge and wisdom. It's that ability to discern what is good and what is better and what's best and what's wrong. But again, it's the same idea. There's this knowledge, it's a real knowledge, it's truth. Mm-hmm. And and the better that you know your truth and you have, have sound discernment, you can function in love. Um, a lot of people think communion with God, somehow it's this, again, this feeling of love and being loved. And it's like, no, the way that, the better way that you're going to function in your knowledge of love and showing love is the better that you have real knowledge and, and true discernment mm-hmm. in what's good. In fact, the thing that you constantly correct as a pastor is people who are making decisions that they think are good decisions, but they're not based upon knowledge. And so they can't discern what's good to do. But then Paul gives a, a reason for it. Um, he says, so that you can then approve the things which are excellent. For what purpose? In order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. So that's actually a perseverance kind of a prayer, too. He's like, you want to persevere to the end. You want to do this and be found faithful and blameless and walk in a godly manner until Christ returns or you die. One of those two are going to happen. How are you going to do that? The only way is if you can uh, approve the things which are excellent. Well, how are you going to approve that? You're going to have to walk in love. Yeah, but how do I walk in love? You have to walk in love in the realm of knowledge and discernment. It, it, if you work it backwards, then it's like, then I need to know my word. I need to know sound theology. I need to think properly. Um, and at that point now, I have proper communion, if you will. Yeah. It's so simple, and yet it, it's not sexy once you actually get into the hard work of that. But if, if, if people would apply that, they would find that that chasing after the wind of that experience, like we talked about, Mark, you know, the up and down yeah. will start to go away. I mean, you said that was 10 years ago and, and you're seeing things differently now. If people would just be content to grow, you know, 10 years later, they can look back and say, I don't look, I don't enjoy those days anymore. I'm thankful for that they're gone. Right. And, you know. Right. Yeah. And so, there. I mean, there's a lot of other passages we could go to. Well, one that somebody always goes to when they're talking to me, at least, about knowledge and well, Matt, you don't need to know that much theology and stuff is out of First Corinthians eight, where they misquote the passage in eight one of um, well, I gotta get there, but First Corinthians eight uh, verse one. This is how they'll quote it. Well, you know that, and they usually use um, King James. Knowledge puffs you up. But love edifies. And oh, you're like, sure. I yep. mean that. I mean, yep. I mean. Well, that's your slam dunk. Everyone's silence. What we need, Matt, is not more knowledge in this world. We need more love. Well, I just showed in the Philippians passage the way you're going to love is in knowledge, and but it has nothing to do with it. He's actually talking about concerning things sacrificed to idols. We know that we have all knowledge, and then he says, knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. And his whole point then, if you follow it through all the way down through the whole chapter, is there are people who know that meat, eating meat sacrificed to idol is nothing. It's just meat. Yeah. But there's others who are younger in their faith who don't know that yet. They haven't come to that. They're, it bothers them because they were worshiping idols. 
and they were offering meat to idols, and they see you eating this meat that had been offered an idol that bothers them. Now, you have that knowledge, but you don't care about your brother or sister in Christ who is struggling over that. So you're eating your, that meat and from, and in fact, mocking them or encouraging them to do that. He says, now you're not functioning in the realm of love. So you have the right knowledge, but you're not exercising it in love. Um, and that's the point of it. It's got nothing to do about it. It's right to have the knowledge. It's good that you know that it's just right. meat. It's good that you can enjoy it before the Lord in purity. But it's not good if you're going to cause your brother or sister to stumble. It's, it's a very simple passage that is almost always ripped right out of context. So on that point, it's really interesting. Lane and I were just talking about this the other day. It's, I think the underlying issue is how you read your Bible. We talked about exegetical preaching a few podcasts ago. Like the mindset of a lot of people is just to jump from verse to verse. Maybe you'll re- maybe you'll read, but then you just kind of know the verses you want to hear, and you'll focus on those. But you're not reading the context of everything. Um, maybe with a bad hermeneutic, or just not reading it just in general. But I think that's what leads you to things like that. I've, I've no, you open right. it I've up and slap I, the I've finger down, right? That personally, and yeah, no, right. It's. Well, yeah, well, it's, it's not. It's not like you're just. Oh, I'm just going to read this first to that first. I mean, you you could be just truly reading through the entire Bible, but you're just picking out what you want to hear, and you're not looking at the whole context. How does it fit together? This is um, was it Rudolph Boltman? Who's the reader response method? Uh, it, it's a kind of theo- It was a postmodern theology where basically truth is in you. And so as you're reading through the Bible, it's up to the reader to, to discern the truth there. Oh, and, sure. and so that's, I mean, essentially what you're describing, but out yeah. of that came so much heresy. Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously. Well, because you're not, they're not, they're not taught or trained to look for the main point and right. they'll make the subordinate point, the main point. And, you that's know, so good. these weird things happen. And, but that's, again, that's driven by that devotional approach of I want to read and find a good verse or find something to start off my day, which in and of itself isn't inherently evil. It's just, I can make the argument, inherently harmful. Yeah, but we know that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So I don't think that's true. Well, that completely trumps that whole thought. Right. Yeah. Plus, God's plans for us are good plans. So we we just have to rest in that. Jeremiah 29, 11, bam. Done. We're done. I'm drawing we're a blank right now. We're actually going to do a podcast on commonly misunderstood and misused verses because they're all over the place and, and they're frustrating um, because they get thrown out with con- uh, with this consistency and and they're just like, what was it you taught me? Um, that's where the mic drop, right? Where you, you're like, yeah. But Christ, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Mic drop. <laughs> like, <laughs> just, like yeah, they just it's... done it. And you're like, okay, everything you just said was wrong. So pick that <laughs> mic up. <laughs> then sit down and turn it off because I'm going to teach you now because you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's bad. It's yeah, bad. Yeah. And and that First Corinthians 8 is one of them. You know, love puffs you up. And it's like, you don't know what you're talking about and you need to know it. Um, but it also goes back to what we talked about with the Fat Christian podcast. Yeah. Uh, the very first thing Paul, uh, Peter tells us is with our faith, now that we have faith, meaning we're believers, we need to then supply with that faith knowledge. The very first thing we have to do is knowledge. And if we don't start with knowledge, then we can't understand our, uh, our the self-control, the things we ought to stop doing and begin to do. We can't go to 
perseverance all the way up to ultimately love. Um, so this whole idea of this communion with God uh, versus knowing and having this proper knowledge um, is it's just an unbiblical idea that sounds good, very, very spiritual though. Yeah. And so I guess we would say then, um, the Bible doesn't really speak about uh, a, a relationship or at least we would conceive of it, a personal relationship with Jesus in terms of an intimate communion, but rather it's defined objectively by truth of what is, of what's absolute reality. And so when we talk about this, kind of just one of the conclusions we would say is the goal is an intimacy of maturity. Um, this is actually what brings about pleasure to God. It's not your your subjective feeling of Him or or your relationship to Him, but are you walking, as Paul would say, in these these moral categories, motivated by a true knowledge? Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, it is a foreign concept in the Bible, in all reality, uh, to to emphasize a personal relationship. But we've made that the 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 goal for every Christian we have to have this personal relationship and it's not that and so what you just said is so excellent and I even think about a passage in John 8 verse 30 it says uh, as a result of what he was teaching many came to believe in him now if you know anything about John uh, the gospel you know if you Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So here he's saying these people have now become Christians, it sounds like. Yet Christ, the very next verse, looks at them and says, if you abide in my word, then you'll prove yourselves to be truly my disciples. And so he, he takes this, wow, they've had a moment, an experience where they're, they're, they look at him and they believe in him, but he's unimpressed with it. He's like, the only way that you're going to prove that and show that is not that you have a personal relationship, not that you have us feeling, but that you're actually in, in the state of abiding in my word. So he immediately objectifies what was subjectively stated. And, and I think that's so needed today is that if we can break away from that subjective pursuit um, a lot of people will have, have a much more stable yeah. uh, faith, if you will. Yep. But, and, uh, and they'll also want teachers who will supply them then the knowledge that they need so that they can think well and, yeah. and contemplate well. And stop being haunted by some subjective guilt because of what they haven't done and instead pursue maturity. Yep. Excellent. I think a place to go from here... Because what I run into is this obsession with going on to like the, you know, personal relationship with God is how is God going to use me? What's his will for me? What's the revelation that he's going to give me what I should do with my life? And, you know, it's just this obsession with these new things. And I mean, yeah, we've talked this whole podcast about needing to know your word, but it makes me think about you need to know the church's history a little bit. Because I was just reading in a book about where all this individualistic tendency and stuff came from. And it came from, I think, like the Second Awakening or something like that, where all the revivalism came from and all of the, you know, this, this personal, individual relationship with Jesus is where it came from. And it's nothing new. It's no. not this new flashy thing. Actually, it didn't start there. It started back in the monastic movement of the 300s. 
So it's yeah. very much not new at no, all. No, I don't. Yeah, Augustine. <laughs> Maybe in America, I'm saying. <laughs> Augustine was your first original Western. Do you Western. know what was, There's yeah. a great story about the monastics. There were some of them not that the actually the would, anything, but... they would live <laughs> on these like pillars of yeah. rock. Isn't that crazy? And, mm. and you would have to haul up on a rope the food and then their oh, their waist would they're be like lowered. Pi- they're like pigeons up there. Yeah. Yeah. But, on but poles. There's actual uh, historical stories of them then hurling insults at one another. <laughs> what? As at you know, yelling across the 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 gap between these spires where they're sitting in their own little hovel communing with God and yet they the problem is that they're trying to get closer to God and have this experience with God. The problem is that they brought their sin with yep. them and they mm. can't escape so now they're mocking one another and hurling no. insults, oh, yeah. you know, and it's like, yeah, that that's exactly what happens. Just where, where, you know, the guy is having this great, awesome moment with God, right? Yeah. He's, he's ex- experiencing God and then he finishes that and then takes his iPhone and turns on porn. You know, and you're like something right. is not right here. Right. Something's yeah. not right. So it, it's the same thing as guys who will say that they, you know, they believe in baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, this and that, and they're just filled with the Spirit. And yet, they're at the same time they're coming to me and ask me, you know, how do I deal with this porn addiction? And like, okay, you can't have both. You can't. You, you, you can't stop. say I'm filled with the Spirit, but I'm also addicted to this because this is a fruit of the the, self-control right yeah and the whole point is to what you were saying is and that is they want special revelation they want something new fresh unique but the reality is they can't even be faithful to what's already been revealed in the scriptures yeah that's a good one and they 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 struggle to just follow in simple obedience yeah even though that is that is the means for right for maturity of christ in you is obedience to what's been revealed absolutely that was well said mic drop